This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Riesling. Yes, yes. Uh, fun with pronunciation. Uh, oh, for sure. For sure. Always, always. Um, uh, mm. And drink responsibly, as always. As always. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, and if you're unaware, obviously the whole episode is dedicated to it, so... You will soon be illuminated, but Riesling, <laughs> the wine, um, yes. <laughs> is what uh-huh. we're talking about, mm-hmm. which I've had, but I don't have a lot of experience with. I've definitely had it, you know, I wouldn't say rarely. I've had it multiple times, but it's, it's uh, normally I drink red wines and bold uh-huh. red wines. So it's sort okay. of not normally the thing that I drink. And if I do, it's part of a tasting situation or somebody brings it. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I like them. It's just... I don't have a lot of experience with them. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I, I think that's fairly common for a lot of Americans because, well, okay. So um, so my experience with Riesling began when I was um, just starting to get into wine. In um, uh, goodness, how old am I? When was that? Like, say, like like two <laughs> two thousand four ish. Okay. Um, uh-huh. and uh. And that was a time when um, most of the Rieslings in America were still um, uh, on the very sweet end. And uh, as a inexperienced drinker, like 
mudslides were my favorite thing to drink. So like, mm-hmm. this, like so this like sweeter, maybe slightly like mineral, even slightly bubbly white wine was very appealing to me. Um, and uh, then I kind of stopped drinking it for a long time. And more recently, um, one of the very dearest humans in my life uh, loves the category, and so we have uh, we've we, we've drank a bunch of bottles uh, of it together. Yeah, um, and I think that I'm excited to to get some and and give it an, another visit because uh, this this episode made me like kind of nostalgic for a thing that again I don't have much experience with. <laughs> Like, oh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> also, this one was very complicated as we were discussing beforehand. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know about German wine designations, and um, I still don't Shame know on you. about German wine <laughs> designations. And I tried. Um, so mm-hmm. I... <laughs> every now and then on this show, we try, and it's <laughs> not enough. It's just not enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like to be fair. Like wine experts don't really know about German wine designations, and that's that's a problem of the German wine designations, not the humans trying to understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the that's the emotion that I'm getting from it. At any rate, yes. I feel like I'm just like Counselor Troy out here. I'm just like I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of vibing that it's weird. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you sent me a document right beforehand, and it was very confusing. Uh, it's too much. So. It's too much, you guys. But okay, so it's going to be, so that's going to be a whole other episode. <laughs> yes. <bet. laughs> yes. A very, a very confusing episode. I love it. I love a good episode that's just confusing everyone involved even more. Yes. Um, but we're in it together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can see our past wine episodes, of which there have been many. Um, ice wine in particular, maybe, for this yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, that would apply, sure. Mm-hmm. Ish, sure. <laughs> Ish, sure, yes. <laughs> but I guess this brings us to our question. Mm-hmm. Riesling. What is it? Well, uh, Riesling is a variety of wine grape used to produce wines of the same name, It's a white grape, uh, what you would refer to uh, in table grapes as a green grape, um, that produces white wines that can be drank young or aged and can vary pretty widely in terms of uh, sweetness and like um, like specific flavors and aromas. But they tend to be light and uh, fruity, think like citrus or apple or peach, uh, bright with acid and with a little bit of like a honey richness to them. Um, they're like a they're like a like a cool, clear, sunny morning in a glass. Ooh, yeah, I love that. That sounds delightful. Yeah, that like that like that like morning golden hour. You know, not yes. quite as not quite as like rich and heavy as an afternoon golden hour, but the morning golden hour. That one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people <laughs> other than me get poetic about rieslings. Um, wine expert Tom Scott once wrote. Um, that a good, like, classic low-alcohol Riesling has an ethereal elegance, subtlety, and haunting delicacy. If someone described me like that, I would my life would be a success. <laughs> I but... mean, you, you would also be like Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I mean, also, life would be a success. <laughs> right? Oh, goodness. Or maybe Tilda mm. Swinton. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. I... Uh... <laughs> And I absolutely, you know, it's, I, I don't want to be either of them, but right? Heck. Mm. Heck and mm. heck. 
All right. Ethereal elegance. Come on. <laughs> haunting delicacy. No oh. one's ever said that either of us are delicate in any way, let alone hauntingly. <laughs> uh, the, it, usually the term haunting when applied to us is a, <laughs> not used in the same way. It's a different connotation. <laughs> slightly, slightly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> at any rate, uh, Riesling. Wine. Uh, very basically, wine is a drink made from the juice of grapes that is fermented using friendly yeasts. Uh, the yeasts eat the sugars and the juice and they poop um, alcohol and flavor uh, and carbon dioxide. But in the case of Rieslings, that's not usually kept. It's usually siphoned off. Um, traditionally, um, Rieslings have been produced in cool climate regions of what's now Germany with um, acids and flavors developing deeply and slowly over a long ripening season before uh, a late harvest. Um, and these wines are good for aging because of those qualities. And yeah, just doing the reading for this one really hammered home for me the concept of um, of wines being this amazing collaboration between nature and humans. Um, like, okay, like like Riesling grapes are known for producing a wide variety of flavors when they're grown in different circumstances. Um, some will develop a sort of like like prickly minerality, some a sort of creamy fruitiness. Um, some will have a lot of sugar, some like a pretty normal amount of sugar. An experiment over 2020 to 2021 demonstrated that um, that even vines planted on opposite sides of a lake can have distinct differences. Oh, wow. I know. I love it. (laughs) Furthermore, uh, Riesling grapes do happen to have a lot of acid, which can really play with the way that we experience sweetness. Um, Like even Riesling wines that wind up with a high amount of sugar in the final product can taste pretty dry because of that acidity. Also at work, uh, part of what we experience in wine as sweetness is any um, fruity aroma, which Rieslings tend to have a lot of. Um, And fruit-flavored compounds tend to break down over time as you age a wine. So the fruitiness in a young Riesling can balance or even overbalance the acid and wind up tasting pretty sweet, um, depending on the original sugar level. Um, And an old Riesling can taste almost surprisingly dry. Um, after those fruity compounds have broken down. So, yeah, just depending on what conditions you're working with and what you're going for, you can do a lot with Riesling grapes. Um, The wines that they make can range from dry and crisp to, like, honey sweet. Um, The young ones have almost a fizz to them. Um, They are used to produce full-on sparkling wines as well. Another fun thing about Riesling grapes, okay, they happen to contain high levels of uh, of both precursors to this one flavor compound and the compound itself that that smells like gasoline or petrol. Huh. It is called ho oh, a trimethyl dihydronepenthylene. Aha! Yes. Yes, that's the podcaster sticking the landing. I did it in one, y'all. <laughs> the award goes to Lauren Vogelbaum. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, it's also called TDN because that is a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but so the straight up naturally occurring TDN in Riesling grapes is uh, generally pretty overwhelmed by other flavors in young wines. Um, but the precursors to it break down during aging, producing like quite noticeable levels. 
Um, it's considered a sign of quality, but in terms of preference, it's like pretty polarizing. Um, and certainly too much of it can be off-putting. So, um, so winemakers really work to control it via, um, uh, controlling the amount of sun or shade that their grapes are getting, um, the amount of water by pruning leaves. It's a whole, it's a whole amazing scientific process. Ooh, I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and here's here's my pretty much one line recommendation for if if you're if, if if you're looking for a sweet riesling versus a drier riesling, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is what hours of reading <laughs> has boiled down to today. Mm -hmm. On German wine labels, um, the terminology can vary, but um, look for the term trocken. If you want something drier and help trocken, or I, I, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but but yeah, basically trocken for drier and help trocken for off dry. If neither of those terms appear, you're looking at something sweeter. Okay. okay. And and then I just I raise my hands up in in mm -hmm. the in the defensive posture and I back away slowly. And that's that's what I have for you. Yeah. That's fair. I was telling Lauren beforehand, I read an entire book uh, to try to get to the bottom of being able to buy a wine and not a panicked state at a grocery store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the whole thing. I mean, did it did it work? Do you do you feel like you can buy a bottle of wine in a non-panicked state from a grocery store? I feel like I can with red wine. Um <laughs> I bet if I went back and was like, okay, uh, white wine, now I want to try that. Yeah, I'm sure there yeah. was some stuff in there. But yes, it's a lot to keep in your brain, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and I feel uh, we, we, were, we were talking all about this before we started recording. Um, I don't know why we didn't just wait to press record. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, no, I feel like it can be really um, uh, uh, purposefully obtuse and kind of gatekeepy. Yeah. Like and and whether whether that's me being like a little sensitive about it or whether there's like a little bit of a genuine like yeah if you if you can't discern this then stick to beer you plebe um, right <laughs> but then the beer aisles like mm, <laughs> like don't like a double IPA <laughs> mm. uh, yeah <laughs> it's a mess is what we're saying oh it's a, a delightful mess, mess. Let, let's let's all let's all spend spend more time figuring it out together. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, <laughs> what about the nutrition? Drink responsibly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we have a couple of numbers for you. A couple. Mm-hmm. Um, Germany controls about 40% of the Riesling market share. It is a treasured category in Germany. Um, I, I read that the most expensive Riesling on the market as of summer of the year 2020, was going for $14,000 a bottle. What? <laughs> I, yeah, I I read that number, and then I read it again, and then I said out loud to my screen, dollars? They're <laughs> <laughs> not talking about quarters? Pogs? <laughs> Pokemon cards? Cold cash? I don't know. Yeah, like, okay. Okay, though. Yeah, that's okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, Riesling is a popular grape in California as well, with over 30,000 tons crushed in 2020. Um, the peak production, it seems, was in 2016 with over 41,000 tons crushed. Um, and, uh, okay, once every three years, there is a Riesling festival held um, along the Pacific coast of the United States called Riesling Rendezvous. Oh, I'm already in. <laughs> right? Okay. Mm -hmm. In the past, some like 70 wineries from around the world brought some 250 Rieslings for tastings um, and seminars. And uh, the last one was in 2019. So like hypothetically, there should be one this summer. Am I mathing right? Is that math? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> both of us are like, oh. oh. Uh, <laughs> Mm -hmm. And this Riesling Rendezvous is part of a uh, like like three event, three year cycle um, because there's also the International Riesling Symposium in Germany once every three years and then the uh, Riesling Down Under in Australia. Yes. Uh, so it's like one per year, the three events cycle and form uh. together the Riesling Coalition. Ooh. Right. Ooh. I, I love this. Sounds impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I guess we need to go to all of them. <laughs> I got, I mean, yes. Yes. And we got more characters for our cartoon series slash radio show, <laughs> The Dunker. The Riesling Coalition needs to be involved. <laughs> Ooh, but are they are they on the on the side of good or evil? <laughs> oh. That's the mystery of the Riesling <laughs> oh, Coalition. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, well, wow. we have a lot of history on the Riesling to go through. We do. Uh, but first, we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, 
the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, yes, uh, we haven't done an episode specifically on grapes yet. Nope. No, nope. but <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> one day, definitely. Oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. We're probably going to have to break that up into multiple. I would episodes. imagine so. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but for more information, uh, pretty broad information, you can check out the episodes we have done on other wines. Um, but just know humans have been drinking alcohol for like a long dang time. Yeah. Like like researchers think that because yeasts grow naturally on grape skins, humans were drinking wine some 9,000 years ago, um, which, for the record, is over 3,000 years before we invented the wheel. Wow. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Um, and, and we have been specifically cultivating wine grapes for a long time, too. Yes. Um, and some of the grapes we're talking about today are believed to have descended from the 50s. BCE. Okay. Okay. 
And the reason grape is believed to be native to Germany, historians think that ancient Romans introduced wine to Germanic territories and may have brought the first wine vine to the Mosul Valley in what is now Germany, um, which is a big Riesling producing area. Um, however, the parents of Riesling are believed to be two vines from what is now France and or perhaps Germany as well. This was also a complicated research paper I found. <laughs> Ooh, uh-huh. About all of this, uh, records suggest the first wine cellar in Germany went up in Trier by 330 CE. Over time, German wine uh, started to build a, a reputation. Um, the Romans transported this wine along rivers, and a poet wrote about the vineyards of Mosul. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. During the 800s CE, Emperor Charlemagne did a lot for popularizing German wines and wine in general. Um, through Christianity, he effectively spread wine culture through things like monasteries that made their own wine. And some of these monasteries achieved some, some renown. During the 15th century, monks and noble families were heavily involved in the caring of Riesling vines. Uh, the first known written mention of Rieslings occurred in that country in 1435, though it was spelled Rieslingen, okay. <laughs> Rieslingen uh, when several Riesling vines were sold to the German court. Because of this, the Wines of Germany trade group declared March 13th, 1435, the official birthday of Riesling. All right. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. We're, we're we're only a little bit belated. Only a little bit. Um, a German botanist and physician named Hieronymus Bach contributed a lot to the understanding of Riesling grapes at the time, including updating how we spell it and lending credence to the popularly held belief that these grapes are from the Rhine region of Germany. Okay. Yes. Over the next few centuries, the popularity of Rieslings and green grapes, uh, white grapes overall, rose. When the Thirty Years' War came to an end and France assumed control over the Alsace region in 1648, the lion's share of destroyed vineyards were replanted with Riesling vines. Hmm. Um, a few other places in Germany followed suit, and the Archbishop of Trier decreed that Riesling varieties were to replace all, quote, bad vines in 1787. Within seven years, this decision led to one of the biggest Riesling growing areas in the world. A little less than a century later, in the 1850s, Rieslings were extremely fashionable, going for more money than Bordeaux wines or even champagnes. Hmm. Um, Queen Victoria was allegedly a fan, and an estate from Mosul called Egon Müller won the Grand Prix at the Paris Exposition International in 1901. Hmm. It was Germany's best-selling grape, by far. Around this time, the vine was first exported to California, where the first recorded planting happened in 1889. This grape helped boost the profile of California's burgeoning wine industry. World War I and World War II saw mass destruction of Germany's Riesling vineyards, and because of that, many producers leaned really hard into quantity at the expense of quality, and the overall quality of the wine went down. Um, and this trend did eventually reverse. Um, 
Meanwhile, in 1971, um, following a number of, uh, of, of other European wine classification laws, Germany enacted its own wine laws, which, um, including some changes made later in 1994 and the year 2000, give us the information that we see on German wine labels today, um, including the name of the producer or estate, um, the vintage year, the name of the village and vineyard, the grape variety, and the quality classification, um, which is this kind of complex pyramid or like matrix um, of level of ripeness of the grapes at harvest and sweetness of the wine by sugar content and alcohol by volume and a, a, a few other restrictions about how grapes are grown and, and harvested, thrown in there for fun. Yeah, just for fun. Just for, <laughs> just for funsies. Just, you know, why not? Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, to be, I'm 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 ragging pretty hard on on German wine labeling, but to be fair, I when we were talking about um, uh, champagne, I found uh, France's almost as as confusing. Um, yeah. In oh, general, yeah. in general, it's it's a lot of information. It's a lot of information. I love Indeed. information. I just don't know how to decode this stuff. <laughs> In a useful the, manner. Yeah. The saver decode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's confusing. It is for sure. Um, and there doesn't seem to be like a one consistent system we're working off of. Oh, globally, certainly not. I mean, like yeah. it, it all depends on. I mean, and, you know, like like part of it comes from uh, uh, the, the, the government of any locality wanting to um, help uh, promote and distinguish its wines from anywhere else as being, you know, like cool and special for marketing right. purposes because they are from there. And they are cool and special. I mean, outside of marketing purposes, but mm -hmm. it's part of why it tends to get so sticky because you're you're dealing with um right, these like these like growers and businesses and politicians and mm -hmm. like whatever weirdness they agree upon gets put on labels for a while. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. At any rate, <laughs> at any rate. At any rate, uh, skipping ahead, the 1990s also saw a significant bump in demand for white wines, including Rieslings. At the same time, Riesling quality was increasing, and it soon became one of the most well-known and sought-after German wines. By 1996, Riesling was once again Germany's most widely planted wine grape varietal. Um, end of note, going back to uh, confusing fun times, there has been a lot of name confusion over the years with Riesling. And in 1996, the U.S. Federal Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau ruled that the name Riesling could not be used on any wine labels that weren't actually Riesling, which, yeah, I read this report and was like, yes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, what was going on? Um, then there was some arguing over the use of Johannesburg Riesling, which had been used to sort of separate uh, from the inferior product flooding the market. So it was sort of a way of doing that, like, no, this is the real thing from Germany that is, it's got a lot of quality, uh, as opposed to this other stuff you've been having that hasn't had that, but everyone was just sort of confused and there were no real rules or understanding around mm -hmm. it. Uh, the U.S. definition was updated again in 2018 for, uh, quote, true Rieslings. Um Similarly to your kind of German wine breakdown, I read this and I was still a little baffled <laughs> <laughs> yeah. by the whole thing. Um, whole other episode. 
but mm-hmm. uh, it was around the, the the 90s and the early 2000s that um, that Riesling grapes became more widely planted in the United States and also that imported Rieslings were selling better here in the U.S. And according to a 2006 Wine Business Monthly article titled Riesling, the New Darling White Wine, uh, quote, between November 2003 and August 2006, sales of the varietal have grown by 72 percent, while case volume has increased 58 percent. Sales of Riesling are so strong that some believe the varietal may eventually challenge Sauvignon Blanc's place as the third largest white varietal sold in food stores. Hmm. Hmm. The new darling white wine. Yes. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, back to labeling issues. Um, in, in 2007, the International Riesling Foundation um, formed out of Washington State with a goal of scientifically standardizing how Rieslings are categorized from dry to medium dry to medium sweet to sweet, according to ahem, um, the ratio of grams of acid per liter to grams of sugar per liter and the total pH level. So, um, so a ratio of 0.1 or less is considered dry, 4.1 and above is considered sweet, the other are in between, as you might imagine, um, and a lower pH level, uh, that is more acid, can, can drag a wine drier, while a high pH level, meaning uh, less acid, can push it sweeter. Um, so, so yes. Uh, it kind of of reminds me of of sister sizing in bras you know you know that thing where like if your band size goes up they're like oh well you're not a you're not a Mm -hmm. a d cup now you're a c cup or like whatever it is yeah Mm -hmm. because your band size went up so that's that's how i I mean confusing that's short that's maybe that's (laughs) i mean yes i understand the I think both areas are confusing is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, although the, these tend to be, from from what I understand anyway, um, these tend to be conversational terms that you might discuss with like a server or a wine shop human or see in a review of a wine. Um, I, I couldn't quite suss out whether these are things that American winemakers are including as label information or not. So here you go. Well, we got a lot of label questions. Is what we I'm clearly do. Away we clearly do. <laughs> this. So, listeners, if you've got like a surefire method, oh wow, tips for understanding a wine label. If you're involved in the wine industry, we would love to hear from you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. In the meanwhile, we uh, do have some listener mail for you from humans who have already written in. But first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with this. Mel. Mel. 
crisp spring morning. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Sean wrote, I just started your Sazerac episode, and Annie mentioned she makes grocery lists sorted by where in the store you find things. Correct. <laughs> um, I moved away from Tennessee a long time ago, and since Christmas is so close to Thanksgiving, I don't usually go back for Thanksgiving. It's not really Thanksgiving for me, though, unless I have my mom's sweet potato casserole, my Granny Hall's cornbread dressing, spiced up like Granny Campbell liked, though, <laughs> or my Aunt Carol's broccoli bread and seven-layer salad. Huh. Since I make pretty much the same seven or eight things each year, I put my grocery list in a spreadsheet Years ago. Yes. <laughs> yes. Back in 2007, I uploaded it to Google Drive where it lives to this day. I've attached it as a PDF. Not sure if you can get Google Docs there um, and thought you might get a kick out of looking at it. I also found a spreadsheet from one year where I had my Thanksgiving cooking schedule planned out. Also a tip for your listeners. My grandmother rarely used a recipe, but I find I need them to remember everything. I started writing her recipes down years ago. I also wrote down my mom's and scanned all of their cookbooks. My mom and grandparents have since passed, but I have all of their recipes, which for me keeps a small part of them here. Everything is in the cloud, so I can easily share with relatives and friends as well. Oh, that's wonderful. That is. That is. I think we don't, for a lot of us, you know, when you're talking about like memories of people, we've these food memories are so important, but if you don't have the recipe, they can get lost. So I think that's yeah. hugely important. And my mom, I had the same thing with her, who we also, uh, she and I also have schedules of like Thanksgiving and when you have to cook, the, like when you have to put it in the oven, when you have to start the oven, when you have to, like we have a schedule. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's all planned out. Um, and I asked her, I was like, we need to write down these recipes because I get people asking for them occasionally and I would just like to have them. Uh, just in case. So that's a project that we've endeavored to undertake as well. Uh, and I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad so to have cool. these written records. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, Right. There were... There were a, a few recipes after my mother passed that I was convinced that the family had lost. And I was like blogging Back in the day when I had a food blog, as everyone else did, um, I was blogging <laughs> about how sad I was that this one cake recipe was lost. And my grandmother, who I did not know was reading the blog, <laughs> called me and was like, I have your mom's recipe box. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, no, no, but w- which, which is brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that I have that. And right, I've been meaning to get a hold of a scanner and digitize some of these things um, and and maybe even translate it into, you know, not my family's handwritten records because they are sometimes a little indiscernible. Yeah. Um. <laughs> my mom's recipes are so sweet. They have to, I think I've said this before, but they have notes in there like, put in a pinch of cinnamon if you want. Oh. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. And like, I don't know. And, and right. Like, I, I feel like I should pour through like my my dad's cookbooks and find like the weird pages that he's but earmarked and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And yeah, just just looking into looking into all of that. Um, yeah. Oh, heck. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of uh, family members, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my cousin Elizabeth wrote in. 
Mango is on the latex fruit allergy list, which I didn't know about until I was in nursing school and realized all the fruit I refused to eat as a child were on that list. Annie, be careful near that rabbit hole. It's as slippery as Alice's in Wonderland. Mm. I don't know if you've covered that before, but I find it curiouser and curiouser. Uh, Black pudding or blood pudding, like horse meat living in Italy, is definitely something I have to accept that I have eaten, even if I wouldn't have chosen it given the choice. Uh... In response to the listener mail regarding pizza flavors, uh, it's definitely true. Stephen, my other cousin, whom she is married to, and I ate Chinese food in China, or, you know, food, and the only time in 10 days we got sick was in Shanghai eating Papa John's. It was pepperoni-ish, but everything was slightly wrong. I lived in Naples, Italy, a birthplace, they say, of the modern pizza, and their pizza americana was tomato sauce, mozzarella, so far so good, hot dogs, and french fries. <laughs> My favorite was Pizza Diavola, a devil's pizza, a very spicy shredded salami. My runner-up was white sauce, mozzarella, sweet corn, shredded ham, and arugula. Um, strangely sweet, tangy, bitter, and delicious. It's called Pizza Mimosa after the flowers given on International Day of the Woman. Happy belated. Uh, Regarding Annie's rising bread problem, uh, may I recommend Chicken Imperial? Uh, Lauren's Aunt Kathy introduced me to it, and it is, in the words of Liz Lemon, the business. Speaking of Lauren's family, her youngest cousin likes to listen to Savor with me. Uh, You get him drooling. I always tell him that's your cousin. (laughs) Teddy asks if you can please do something about the history of baby food. His favorite food is kale, weirdo, and his breakfast of almond butter, oatmeal, cinnamon, ginger, and nutmeg. He'd like to know which brands his mother can trust for prefab food and why there are heavy metals in baby food and what heavy metals are. He's only nine months. There's not much he knows yet. Keep up the great work and the tangents. I relived the Scrabble Dictionary discussion with Stephen. He had some pretty Papa John-based opinions, as you'd imagine, Lauren. I grew up in a, if you need a tile, I'll give it to you, blasphemy family. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, 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 to clarify one point here, the Papa John in question is the name of my grand, or the name that we called my grandfather, um, uh, not... Uh-huh. Not the related pizza. to the pizza, <laughs> okay. although we're all tickled by that there is this pizza place called Papa yeah. John's. Um, okay, uh, but but yeah, no, we as I believe I mentioned the last time we brought it up, I have some very serious Scrabble players in my family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it sounds intense. Yeah, um, yeah, I thought I was terrible at Scrabble, but I'm just worse than like Stephen and Aunt Sandy, which there's nothing <laughs> wrong with. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm glad that you've learned, you know, hopefully you played other games and had success. Um. It's, it's, it's fine. It's, it, it does, it does get very, we, we can be very competitive. No, I don't think that's true. Yeah, you've never, you've never seen that. No, 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 no. That doesn't sound right at all. Um. Oh my goodness. Oh goodness. Thank you so much for writing in. Oh, that's so, that's so delightful. I'm always, I'm always so like, like, like pleased, but shocked when people I know listen to the show. I'm like, on purpose? Like you? Yes. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Here you go. <laughs> uh, and also these pizzas, you know, 
I'm intrigued. I oh. think listeners, I want I want to hear all of the pizzas you've tried. Yes. I want all please. of that information. I um, do. I love arugula on a pizza. I mean, I love arugula yeah. in general. Um, mm-hmm. See above re-bitter is my favorite flavor, but like, right. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's so nice. So nice. Yeah. Me too. Agreed. Agreed. Um, well, in the meantime... Thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, pizza toppings or otherwise, (laughs) uh, we would love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. You can also find us on social media. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we are at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks as always to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.